Well, turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. And let me just explain something to you. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the same God. The difference is we have a different covenant. The covenant in the New Testament was made with the Lamb of God, not an animal lamb. The covenant that God made with us in the New Testament Jesus was the lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching to get baptized, he said, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that God is making a new covenant The word testament really is the word covenant. Whenever you read the scripture where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him as a covenant God. Somebody say the new covenant. Say covenant have conditions. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that when you take communion or the covenant meal, it says that if anybody takes it in an unworthy manner, you take it with an unworthy heart, like you really are not keeping your side of the covenant. The Bible says some get sick, some get tired, and some die. Somebody say the covenant has conditions. God has made conditions for his side, and he's made conditions for our side. This whole thing about unconditional love is not God. You know where that came from? It came from the 1930s with psychologists in California trying to talk people out of the consequences of sin because they felt guilty and they felt shame. And these secular humanist psychologists was trying to get these people to feel good about themselves and love themselves in all their sin. And so they said, you have to love yourself with unconditional love. That's humanism. And then in the 1960s and 70s, the hippies got a hold of it and said, God's a God of love. There's a big love movement. No conditions. Then the church got a hold of it And they began to preach unconditional love. But here's the problem. Somebody say self-adjusting behavior. Say self-adjusting behavior. You know, when I was a young father, I spanked my kids. And I spanked my kids just enough to hurt. Not to beat them, but I want to let them know that if you cross this line, there are consequences. Somebody say, the covenant has consequences. And I could just see my little kids. They wanted to do some evil. They wanted to do something they shouldn't do. And I would lift up my little paddle, the rod of God. Hey, yeah. And you could see them going this way, but when they saw the rod, they had self-adjusting behavior. He's a good shepherd. Somebody say, he's a good shepherd. Say, the 
The staff is for direction. The rod is for correction. The staff is for direction. The rod is for correction. And we have a generation of church people who've never been spanked because their pastor was protecting them against the nature of God. They make that little, I hate that little heart thing. Love, it's all, it's, love is love. No, love has conditions. And if I don't know the conditions, I never have self-adjusting behavior. And so we got a church that won't give, won't serve, won't sacrifice. Not, not this church right here. You're here on a Friday night. But by and large, the church won't do that. You know why? They've never had correction. They've never had the rod of God. You know, I, I remember the first time I really began to feel the rod of God. And I would do something and I felt guilty and I felt, ugh. I felt like, why do I feel? Because I crossed God's boundary and I felt the grieving of God and the spanking of God in my spirit. And it caused me to have self-adjusting behavior. I said, well, I won't be doing that again. I began to have self-adjusting behavior. And so the thing that you have to understand is that God's still the same. And so when people say there's, there's an unconditional love of God, they don't know what they're talking about. God will always extend the love of God, but that doesn't mean you have a pass. That means you say, okay, I surrender. I repent of my sins. See, you can't get forgiven of your sin till you repent. That's when you get the mercy. That's when you get the mercy. So listen to me very carefully. Today, God wants you to understand his ways. When I understand his ways, I can have self-adjusting behavior. I can enter into the ways that he wants to do it. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, this is after Jesus has been crucified. How many know the Bible says that when Jesus was crucified that afternoon, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom? That, that the presence in the Holy of Holies now went to the whole earth. It wasn't contained in that model. But God was released because now there was a sacrifice. Let me just say this. By and large, this modern church has no revelation on the blood of Jesus. In the Old Testament, they had to bring a lamb or a cow or a goat, something, when they sinned. And when the person would cut the, the throat of the animal... They would catch the blood of the animal in a bucket or something. And then they would cook that animal on the fire. And then once a year, the whole nation was going to get a reprieve. And they would have blood from the innocent lamb. And the high priest would take it into the Holy of Holies. And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. Somebody say, the blood, the blood. goes on the mercy seat. Say, no blood, no mercy. Somebody say, no blood, no mercy. And when that human high priest 
went into the holy of holies and sprinkled the blood. And when he came out and said, the blood is on the mercy seat. Your sins have been forgiven for another year. The covenant remains. I did what you said. I had a sin. I killed the lamb. You know how come God said kill an animal when you sin? And you could watch a guy bring a sacrifice. He could pretty well know what a sin was. If I brought a little bitty lamb, wasn't that big of a sin. But if I'm pulling a 2,000-pound ox, brother, what did you do? You lifted up your robe in the wrong place there, brother. <laughs> See, we got zippers. They had robes. They pull up that robe. He said, man, you must have a big sin because you have a big sacrifice. Well, guys, our sin was so great, an animal could not pay for it. And God became a man, born of a virgin. He was born in Bethlehem. I don't know if you know this, but Bethlehem was the only city in Israel where they grew the sacrificial lambs. He was born in the same city. He was born to die so that we could live. And so I don't know if you know that when Jesus was meeting Mary in the garden, he said, don't touch me. I have not ascended to my father. And was, don't touch me with human hands. I've got to go to the holy of holies in heaven and sprinkle blood on the heavenly mercy seat. Now, why is this so important? That was the condition to pay for my sin. That was the covenant. And any time you have issues with fear and shame and condemnation, and you got fear about you confess your sin, but you don't feel forgiven, your problem is you don't have faith in the blood. Somebody say, I got faith in this blood. Come on, I got faith in this blood. You know, when I first got married to my wife, she was from a real, real, Real legalistic Pentecostal. I'm not going to say the name of the denomination to protect the guilty. <laughs> they didn't believe in makeup. They didn't cut their hair. They didn't, they didn't really have paint on their fingernails. They wouldn't wear jewelry. They were ultra holy. And so when I met her, she had been delivered from that, but she still had the residue. How many know that perfume bottles... A lot of times you can smell what used to be in it, even though you can't pour nothing out. That's how legalistic people are sometimes. You can smell what used to be in them. You don't have the legalism, but you do got the smell. <laughs> Little formulism, legalism. And we would get in a marriage fight. And I would say, I'm sorry. She goes, you're not sorry. I said, I am sorry. If you were sorry, you'd have that sad look on your face. You'd, you'd be having, you'd have this sorrow for like two or three hours. I said, well, I, I, I don't know about all that. I said, I'm sorry. And she would just hold it over me for two or three hours. And like she said, you don't look sorry. 
And until you look sorry, you ain't sorry. So I'm going to make sure you're sorry. <laughs> and then one day after we had a fight, I went to the gas station. I was getting my car with some gas. And the Lord talked to me. And he, I put my credit card into the pump. And uh, the Lord says, how long does it take to get the answer that you've been approved? I said, like two or three seconds. He says, am I not faster than a credit card machine? He said, the moment you say I'm sorry and you mean it, it's done. And I want you to understand something. Many of you are walking in shame and fear and guilt that's false. And the devil would take advantage of that to make you feel horrible. Even though you're born again. Anybody ever pop microwave popcorn? Anybody ever burnt microwave popcorn? You know, when you pop microwave popcorn, you got to have a prophetic gift. So you person. You know what I'm talking about, right? Because I don't want to, I want to make sure everything that can be popped gets popped. So when you put it in there, it sits for about four to five seconds and 30 seconds, 45. You hear it pop, 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 pop. Then you hear it pop, 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 pop. And then it goes pop, pop, pop. And you say, should I pull it out now? I'm going to wait a little bit, five more, pop. And then you wait, and all of a sudden you smell that stink. <laughs> and you can take that popcorn and throw it outside within 15 seconds, but burnt popcorn hangs in the atmosphere for a while. See, when you confess your sin, it's out of you, but your soul can still smell. Ugh. But you cannot rely on your feelings. I got to rely on the blood. I ask for forgiveness. I trust it. My righteousness is in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, somebody say, My righteousness is in the blood of the Lamb. Well, people that think that God's love is unconditional, they really never for repent or make restitution or go to people and and say, I'm sorry. Now, why is this so important? For Christianity to work, you got to get close. Somebody say, you got to get close. Come on, say, you got to get close. God calls the body of Christ his bride. He wants to be close. Well, if I feel fear and shame and rejection... I'm not going to get close. Even though I'm saved, I'm not going to get close. And you can't go by feelings after you sin. Has anybody here ever really bad, bad sinned? I mean, you did something like, that was horrible. Anybody ever had B.O. so bad, you're looking around, who, who's the smell? No, oh, my God, it's me. <laughs> now, what's that smell? You go, oh, my God, that's me. You ever had sin so bad that you smell yourself and go, man, you a horrible person. You nasty. You talk, you talk, you nasty. Just, you just lost it. And so when you feel that way and then you repent, unless you have faith in the blood, somebody say faith 
in the blood. Come on, say faith in the blood. Not feelings, but faith. Come on, say not feelings, but faith. You will never have a consistent sense of his righteousness. You'll always feel like that burnt popcorn smell in your soul. And then the devil will bring it up. Don't you remember when you did this and did that? But when you make restitution and you go back to the people you've hurt, you messed over, and you get forgiven, the devil's got nothing else to say. Somebody say, if you tell on yourself, the devil's got nothing to say. Say, if you tell on yourself, the devil's got nothing to say. Now, today we're going to talk about God's presence and God's activation. Somebody say his presence has a purpose. Now, the ways of God have to be understood. They're not automatic. Just because you've been in church 20 years, you can be dumb as a box of hammers and cheese. Well, I don't really understand. I, you know, I love God, but, you know, you got baby love. You little bitty baby Christian brain. You don't know the ways of God. And you're blown by every wind of doctrine, everything you blow this way and you blow that way. But when you grow up and you understand the ways of God, then you can really connect and get the benefits of the kingdom. Somebody say kingdom understanding. understanding. Come on, say kingdom understanding. understanding. Acts chapter 2 verse 17. This is after Jesus has resurrected. He's been killed. He's been resurrected. And... Now, the heavens open. And this is what God declares even till today. Now, there's a group of people that said all the miracles, all the signs and wonders in the first century are over. They got some crazy doctrine that said that God only did for the first century, but now we have the word. Jesus is the living word. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday Today and forever. Can anybody yell out to me what the greatest sin is? Blasphemy. Anybody else? Greatest sin? Pride. Greatest sin? Anybody? What is it? Say it again. You win the prize, my friend. Unbelief. That's the greatest sin. Because it's unbelief in who God said he is. That's, that's the greatest sin. And so anybody that's stuck on stupid, somebody say stuck on spiritual stupid. But well, Kevin, that offends me. Well, if you're stuck on stupid, you need to be offended. Well, I really don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in healings for today. I don't believe in tongues. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in casting out demons. Somebody say, demons don't die. They just recycle lazy Christians. I remember one time I was casting a demon out of Chicago, and I've cast out, I can't even tell you, thousands of demons in Chicago in the last 35 years. And I'm casting out this demon, and I get the word of knowledge that you've cast this demon out before. I said, 
I cast you out before. The demon goes, <laughs> you did. But it was out of somebody else. That demon found somebody else to live in. I dispossessed him from this house and the devil wanted to find another house. Now, why am I saying this? God is saying, I'm about to do signs and wonders and miracles through you. You know, Pastor David's job is to activate you in the supernatural. Say, we have a supernatural devil. So we got to be a supernatural people. You can't fight the devil without power. You can't fight the devil without miracles and signs and wonders and the prophetic word of the Lord. You can't fight the devil like that. And so here's the problem. When God sends his presence down, it has a purpose. It has a purpose. So today God wants you to understand his purpose so that you can walk as a supernatural son and daughter for your family, for your business, for this generation, for this church. Amen. And don't let the spirit of unbelief grab a hold of you. Well, show me in the Bible where there's no more apostles. I take a person when they say there's no more prophets. I'm a prophet. Well, you don't exist, Kevin. We are a nonprofit organization. P-R-O-P-H-E-T. No prophets here. Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass. Will you help me say that? And it shall. I can't hear you. One, two, three. Shall. Like thunder. It what? Shall. In the last days, saith God. The last days means the last section of a time when God is moving. We're still in the last days. It just means the last period after the Old Testament. That I will pour out of my spirit. Somebody say, my spirit. My spirit. I can't hear you. One, two, three. My spirit. One more time. My spirit. On all flesh or all humanity. And then he says, your sons, not my sons, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Amen. These are not Christian people. God is pouring out his spirit and they're having to awaken to the spirit. Somebody say, awaken to his spirit. spirit. Young men shall see visions, old men shall dream dreams. Now, it doesn't mean that only young men will see this and only old. It is inclusive as the way that Hebrews talk. They're including everybody. And then he says, on my manservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. See, you got to hear to prophesy. You got to see to prophesy. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul said, desire spiritual gifts. Somebody said, desire, desire. spiritual gifts. Now, I want you to say it like a hungry man who hasn't eaten for four days. I desire that cheeseburger. I desire that steak. I want to say, I desire spiritual gifts. One, two, three. I desire spiritual gifts. Come on, raise that word desire. One, two, three. I desire spiritual gifts. 
Come on, make that stronger, stronger, stronger. You say, well, Kevin, why do you make me do that? Because I'm reprogramming some of your religious brains that are full of unbelief. Something is shifting inside of you. And the Bible says, pursue spiritual gifts. That means chase after them. And see, there's a lot of false humility. You know, some people can't even take a real compliment. You get in these hyper-religious churches. And remember one time I was in a church one time, and this girl, she really, really had the, the Holy Spirit on her when she sang. I mean, it was glorious. I said, well, you did a great job. She goes, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. Well, that microphone was up there by itself. I didn't hear nobody singing until you got up there. It had to be you and the Lord. <laughs> false humility. And there's other people, the Lord gave me a song. When you hear it, you go, the Lord had nothing to do with that song right there. <laughs> that you was drinking moonshine, that's a hillbilly yodeling. That was not the Lord right there. <laughs> now, let me tell you this. Learning how to move in the supernatural is about as easy as learning how to use a cell phone. There is a learning curve. There is a learning curve. But once you learn how to use it. All of a sudden, it's yours for the rest of your life. It's yours. You got to learn the ways of God. Now, there's many versions of the Christian story. If I go to churches 100 miles from here on Sunday morning, I'm going to go to different versions and different time zones. Somebody say different versions. And different time zones. Some churches you go to, you're going back to the 1800s. It's like they drive up in modern cars, but inside that building, it's, they're stuck in the 1800s. You go to the Amish, they're stuck in the 1600s. Turn on the lights. No lights. You're stepping back to the 1600s. There's some churches you go back to 1940, 1950. Hopefully, this church is in current time. I want to be in current time. And you know what? I found out about God. God will meet you where you are. If they're happy in that old dead church, if they're happy there, just leave them to heaven alone. But when they get hungry, they'll drive past the rock where it says, because there is more. Because there's more. I'm hungry. And so what God is saying is that I'm sending my presence on you. How many sense the presence of God in the service tonight? Now, some people, I don't feel nothing. You better check your moral condition. If you didn't feel the presence of God in this service, you got a moral condition problem. You know Why? God never comes through your head. He comes through your heart. I'm going to prove it. Look at your neighbor and say, God doesn't want you to be good. Come on, just wag your finger and say, God doesn't want y'all to be good. God doesn't want you to be good. Nah, 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 God. Now, somebody said, what does that mean? In that... In, in the, the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, God said there's one tree 
in the garden I put you, I don't want you to eat from, it's the tree of the knowledge of? I can't hear you. The knowledge of what? So if I eat the evil side, or if I eat the good side, I, I die anyway. God doesn't want you to be good, he wants you to be spiritual. See, if you don't witness very much, you don't bump into this. But if I say, do you go to church? Yeah, what kind of church you go to? XYZ church. I said, are you a Christian? Yes. I said, are you a good one or a bad one? It forces them to evaluate themselves. I said, well, why would God let you, because I'm a good person. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't lied a whole bunch. I haven't got too high. I didn't get too freaky on the sex thing. Well, really? So basically what they're saying is they're trying to get to heaven like a Muslim. See, the Muslim believe there's a scale in heaven. He takes your good works versus your bad works. And whichever side is heavier, if you've got more evil than good, you go to hell. You've got more good than evil, you go to heaven. But you know something? That's wrong. Because they don't have any blood. Because they got to, that's why they get so many suicide bombers. Because if you blow yourself up, you have immediate access past the scales. Help me understand that. So if you're trying to get to heaven because you're good, you're just part Muslim. You're just thinking the good and the bad thing. Now, why is this so important? God is about to pour out his spirit afresh and anew on you. And when that presence comes, you got to know that it's here. And the preparation for feeling his presence is repenting of your sin. You know, I've had this experience probably the last 15 years in Latin America. I've had it really for like 30 years. But in some services, I'll get through the services and there'll be like a seven or eight year old kid staring at me. And the mother will say, I don't know what's wrong with my kid. He just said he has to go and talk to you. And I'll say, hey, what's up, little man? What's going on? He goes, did you see something? They'll nod their head. What did you see? I saw the big man. What did the big man look like? Was he as tall as me? He was taller than you. What was the big man doing? He said, when you would go to the edge of the stage, you would point your finger. He would point his finger and blow on the people. And they start crying and weeping. When you were preaching, he would move his hands and the power of God would come on people. Or he said, the people, he, would, he didn't say the power of God. He would say, the people start having a response in a seven-year-old voice. He was seeing an angel. The Bible said the pure in heart, not the intelligent of head. The pure of heart, not the intelligence of head. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's your head. Say, my intellect makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Say, my intellect makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Now, the next several months, the pastors in all these rock churches are going to be talking about the supernatural, the gifts of the spirit. My job is to prepare the soil for the seed of their teaching to go into it. All right? So we know that the devil disguises death like life. When Eve saw that tree, she said, this is a beautiful tree 
to make you wise, with intelligent. But Jesus died on the tree too. What was the name of the place that Jesus died on? Golgotha. What's Golgotha mean? The place of the, the place of the, what's in your skull? Your intellect, your brain. Where did the crown of thorns, thorns always mean curse. Where did the crown of thorns go? Where does the curse come from? Human intellect. So God's not going to use your intellect to bring a move of God. He's going to use your heart. Somebody say the pure in heart will see God. God said there's going to be revival of the youth in this church. Little kids, 12, 13, 14, going to prophesy like grown men and women with what the Lord would say. How many know that Jesus got the revelation that God was his father around 12 years old? He's sitting in the, the synagogue and he was hearing the preaching. He didn't always know he was the son of God. He had to get a revelation. And the Messiah shall be born in Bethlehem. Wait a minute. I was born in Bethlehem. And the Messiah shall be born of a virgin. Wait a minute. There's always a rumor about my mama. <laughs> and the Messiah should be the great, 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 great grandson of David. Wait a minute. David was my grandfather 10 generations back. And then one day he got the revelation. I'm the Messiah. And he went to Jerusalem for a festival and got lost. And his parents said, where's Jesus at? His stepfather, Joseph, I don't know where he's at. They had other kids. I understand that the Virgin Mary was only a virgin until after she had Jesus. And then Joseph said, it's my turn. <laughs> they named the six children, four boys and sisters. We don't know how many sisters. So Jesus wasn't an only child. He grew up in a good Jewish family with lots of kids. And when they find Jesus, after three days, death, burial, resurrection, if I took three days, this little bitty high-pitched voice is asking the Pharisees and the teachers about Scripture. And they said, how do you get these questions, kid? And so his mother finds him and he says, why have you done this? What did Jesus say? I must be about my father. But that's not how he said it. Here's how he said it. I must be about my father's business. He's just in the beginning of puberty. His voice hasn't changed. And his mother said, come home. And we don't hear about Jesus for 18 years. He had to grow in the house. He had to grow in relationships. He learned how to be the Messiah in a family setting. You can only find a son and a daughter in a house. Is anybody hearing me? I was talking to Chad, the, one of the tech guys. He was saying some of the churches he'd been around. And he said it wasn't a family. It was a plantation. He said, you can call me pastor. You can call me master. But you're still not going to have a relationship with me. It's a plantation. Now, why is this so important? 
God is saying, I'm going to do this thing in your families, in your house, in your relationships. You're about to experience the visitation of God, but you've got to get your hearts clean. Come on, just raise your hand and say, Holy Spirit. If there's any blockages in my heart, any unrighteousness in my heart, any sin in thought, in word, in deed, in the next seven days, reveal it to me. Let me call my sin by the same name you call it. Let me tell myself I sin with the same name that you called in the Bible. So the Bible says that God is going to pour out his spirit. Now, why is this so important? God's plan has not changed since the first century. Turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 down to verse 29. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 down to 29. Now, the epistles are to show you how to grow as a Christian in the local church. The epistles are to show you how to grow in the stature of the Lord, how to learn the ways of God. They're different than the Gospels. They're designed for only Christians. See, after the book of Acts, every sin, listen to me very carefully, after the book of Acts, every sin that is mentioned is in the church. Liars, thieves, homosexuals, adulterers, all those are church people. Come on, look at your neighbor and go this way. Say, sometimes I think nasty thoughts. Say, sometimes I think nasty thoughts. Say, sometimes these hands do nasty things. All the guilty guys are turning red right now. <laughs> now, why am I saying this? Because God can't identify with sin. He has to deal with sin. And if I want to get close, I got to deal with my sin. The Bible says in Isaiah that the Lord hasn't got a short hand, but our sin has caused him not to be able to get close to us. And so everything they're going to teach about the gifts of the spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, the anointing, the assignment only works for the pure of heart. It only works for the pure of heart. Verse 24, Colossians 1, 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. This is Paul talking. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. And the mystery which has been hidden from the ages of a generation has now been revealed to his saints the Passion Virgin says, and the secret surprise, which has been hidden for generations. Verse 27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what's the mystery? The hope of glory. I'm going to ask you what the mystery is. And just like that girl screamed out, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Don't say you, say me. 
What is the mystery? Come on, let's add the, because the glory is his likeness and his image. What is the secret mystery? Come on, point to yourself. What is the secret mystery? What's the secret mystery? Well, Kevin, I'm not an apostle. Are you a son? Kevin, I'm not a prophet. Are you a daughter? Well, Kevin, I'm not an evangelist like, you know, evangelist Brian. But are you a son and daughter? See, his job is to train you how to do his job. My job is to train you how to do my job. We're supposed to get you to prophesy, be on the apostolic mission, heal the sick, hear the voice of God, get words of knowledge, all of those things. That's our job. And most pastors need to be fired because they're not doing their job. They're trying to, well, you ought to love each other, but I can't love each other with this wicked heart. I got to get the sin out. They never talk about sin. They say God is a God without conditions. So no wonder their churches are a bunch of cesspools. There's as much sin in the church as outside the church because nobody addresses the sin because we're the love church. No, you're not. Love is, I want your highest good. I beat my kids. I spanked my kids because I wanted their highest good. I said, I'm going to knock that animal nature out of you. Are kids born good or kids born bad? How many say kids are born bad? How many say kids are born good? Let me give you the revelation, Mr. Mano, back there to raise his hand. You got four three-year-olds and you got three toys. I put them in a room, shut the door, and listen. Mine! No! You ain't to teach kids to be bad. It's in their nature. It's in our nature. So God has to give us pastors and shepherds and parents that are devoted to get that little animal nature and turn us into sons and daughters of God. All right? So he said, the secret is Christ is the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man. That doesn't sound like unconditional. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to warn you. Teaching every man that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. To this we also labor and strive according to his working, which works in me mightily. What is the secret plan? Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. What's the secret plan? Come on, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to see a full-grown Jesus inside of you. One, two, three. What's the secret plan? Say it again. One, two, three. See him inside of you. One, two, three. One more time. I've said this testimony, but it goes back to the second year I was a Christian. I was raised in a Catholic church, never read the Bible. When I found the Bible, I read it five, six hours a day because I was hungry for this food. I began to get people saved. I was witnessing to 10 people a day. I began to take people to my apartment. I was living off the base. I was in the Air Force. And I didn't know how to do the whole Bible study, the whole thing about cell groups. And it says, lay hands on people. I had no idea. I'd never seen anybody lay hands on anybody 
except the Catholic church where they laid hands on little babies. And the Bible says, if you lay hands on people, I'll bless them. So I'm experimenting. I remember I had this lady, I called her up. I said, I'm gonna lay hands on her. When I laid hands on her, I had an open vision where my hand, my arm became translucent. I could see through it. And there was a hand inside of my hand. I thought I was having a flashback from too much hash or whatever. I pulled my hand back. I said, what was that? It was like a flash. I laid my hands back on that head. It happened again. I pulled it back again. The third time I laid my hand and I heard, I heard the Lord said, I said, what is that? He said, you know, the most friendly, warm voice. Don't you know, son, inside of you is a full grown Jesus. I got the revelation the second year I was a Christian that there was a full-grown Jesus inside of me. I, I, I had this thing inside of me. There was a full-grown Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, they prayed in tongues, but also there was another manifestation. There was tongues of fire on their head. What was that about? The tongues of fire. Can I tell you what it is? When Solomon dedicated his temple and he prayed that prayer, fire came from heaven and lit the sacrifice. On the day of Pentecost, God said, I am no longer going to tell you to go to man-made buildings, but you are the temple of the living God. And the fire means we're open for business. Somebody say, I need the fire. And see, some of you, your religious retreads, you're in church, but you don't prophesy, you don't witness, you don't tell your story to anybody, and you're just sick of going to church, you're just sick of your life. You don't witness to anybody, you don't prophesy, you don't encourage anybody. When they have a, you know, what they call them, potluck dinners, there's always a sneaks. They bring one bag of cheap Fred's chips and they bring that off-brand cola that's like 17 liters for 39 cents. And you put it on the table and you go right over and start eating the good potato chips and eating oh, cheap Charlie. But here's the thing, if you're not on fire, Somebody say, the fire. fire. Come on, say it like old Southern Kevin. Say, the fire fire. is never satisfied. satisfied. Come on, say, the fire fire. is never satisfied. satisfied. A fire will take as much coal and wood as you can shovel in it. If you're satisfied, that means you're not on fire. And you can see it on your face. Your face in worship is telling on you. Got this bored look, looking at your cell phone, picking your nose, thinking about everything else. We can tell you're not engaged. See, when I go to a church, I don't worship. I watch your worship. I'm the shepherd watching the sheep. I see more in worship because I see your spirits. I see who's engaged, who's not engaged. 
And God is saying, I'm about to send a fresh wave of worship. You know, I love, I love skilled musicians. Ellie's not the most skilled piano player. But she's skilled enough to bring a move of God. I learned one thing about musicians that travel the nations. You got to play the team you got. They can tune their guitars. They can tune their drums. But the biggest thing they got to tune is their heart. Having a tuned guitar in an untuned heart, you're not going to get a move of God. But if I have a tuned heart, how many felt the wind of God tonight? It's like we didn't want to stop it. And God is saying today, I'm coming to visit you. I'm coming to visit you in the night season with a dream, with a vision and a prophecy. And when you feel the presence of God, you got to say, Lord, what is your presence here for? Somebody say his presence has a purpose. Come on, cry and say his presence has a purpose. His presence has the purpose. Now you got to realize something that God does not speak English. Where is, is Jay Miller here somewhere? What's he doing? Let me get the guy with the beard here. Come on. Come on up here, man. Come on, run up on stage real quick. Please pay attention. I'm not a tricky prophet, but when I ask this guy this question, you're going to think, what's wrong with you? Your, your name is and, and Achilles. Achilles, okay. All right, what language do you speak, Achilles? English and Spanish. So you, you're bilingual. Yeah. Okay. What if I said, you don't speak English and you don't speak Spanish? What would you say to me? I don't believe you. You don't believe me? If I can prove to you, in the next five minutes that you don't speak English, you don't speak Spanish, you're going to get the revelation. Have you ever seen a nine-month-old baby that can't talk yet, but they see an apple or ice cream or something they want? How do they ask for it? Uh, 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 uh. All right. Have you ever been talking to somebody and you know what you want to say, but you just can't remember the word to say it? You don't speak English. You don't speak Spanish. You speak Achilles. God speaks to your spirit. And then your spirit has to have a soul with understanding interpret. You felt that, didn't you? It's like spirit. He's trying to be cool, but something breaking on it. Spirit. 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 And, and then his intellect has to interpret what his spirit is feeling in the English or Spanish. You know what language I really speak? I speak Kevin. You know what Dave speaks? He speaks Dave. When God speaks to our spirit, we have to interpret what we feel in our spirit. 
Is anybody hearing this? Now, now why is this so important? All the gifts of the Spirit initially come through your... Come on, be aggressive. Lord, I'm doing the best I can with the crowd you gave me. Come on, just shout, Spirit! God speaks to your... When the anointing comes, it goes to your... When a gift of prophecy comes, it goes to your... When a word of knowledge comes, it goes to your... When an anointing to heal comes, it goes to your... Then your soul has got to say, what's going on down there? And if you have no understanding, you just go, well, I don't know what that meant. I don't know what that was about. Or I feel something, I'm going to dance it off. A lot of millennials, they just... Dance it off. Generation Z. I felt the presence. What did he come to do? I have no idea, but. But God comes to your spirit. And so when God said, I will pour out of my. And I will aim it at your. But if you don't have understanding. And so many of you, you miss business deals. You miss the right connection. There are some people, they died prematurely because they did not know how to pay attention to their spirit. <laughs> True story, years ago, I had a pastor who went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And there's like an eight-hour time difference between where I was and the Philippines. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I got up and began to feel like I had to pray for my pastor. Some of you are going to feel this for Pastor Brian when he goes to Israel. I just felt this burden. I got to pray. So I went downstairs and began to pray. And I got praying in tongues for three hours. And finally, I felt peace. And I laid down on my sofa. Then I get a report about 10 hours later. The pastor, my pastor, was in the Philippines, and it's a, it's a nation of islands, he was going from this island to this island, and he was taking a small plane, and when he went up to the, the lobby, when he went to check in, he felt horrible. He said, I can't go today. I can't go. He said, I'll go tomorrow. Went back to his hotel. That airplane took off and crashed. Everybody on board died. Now, you could say it was the will of God that he died. No, it wasn't. But if you're not led by the, you're going to get in deals you shouldn't get into. You're going to get in with people you shouldn't be with. You're going to buy things that you shouldn't buy. Some of y'all got a bunch of junk in your house. You were never led by the, you were led by the soul. Well, I got to have you on him. Oh yeah. 149 dollars a month. 72 easy payments. I get it. But you never check with your. And God is saying, I have sent my spirit to lead and guide and bless you and direct you. I've given you the gifts of the spirit as tools to make it in this wicked world. But it's not going to come through your intellect. It's going to come through your. And so I got to learn how to interpret spirit into soul. 
if you have the passion version back there, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 down to verse 14. The passion version, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Come on, my friend, Achilles. Achilles is going to be a great man of God in this house. Come on, put it on the screen right here. See, God sends from the spirit, but it comes to your spirit. And as they begin to talk about the gifts of the spirit, if I don't get my heart right, and it says that we articulate, no, this is 13, go back to 12. For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace is lavished upon us, verse 13. And we articulate these realities. Say, his spirit is a reality. One more time, louder. Twice as loud, one, two, three. Twice as loud, one, two, three. And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the spirit and not with words taught by human wisdom. We join together spirit-revealed truth with spirit-revealed words. Look at verse 14. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's spirit for they make no sense to him. He can't understand the revelation of the spirit because they are only discovered by the illumination of the spirit. Today God is saying, get your sin out because I'm getting ready to visit your spirit. And if you don't read the Bible... You're going to feel the spirit, but you won't know how to interpret it. You know, I thank you. Let's give Achilles a, a big hand of applause. Hallelujah. Many times I'm in a Spanish country. I know about 30% Spanish. And I'll be talking away. And when I, I'm getting ready to go to Columbia on Monday... And the first two days are going to be rough because I forgot what I knew. You know what that's like, don't you, Brian? But after about the third or fourth day, I start getting my words back, my sentences back. And I'll do pretty good, but then I run out of words. I know what I want to say, but I don't have the Spanish words to say it. There's some of you, you got the desire in your spirit, but your Bible dumb. You've been relying on your pastor. You've been relying on everybody else on YouTube. And God says, I want to take you some places, but I can't because you're Bible dumb. You pray in tongues, you're full of the spirit, but you're Bible dumb. And God is trying to take you here and do this. And you feel something, but you don't know how to interpret it because you're Bible dumb. And God is saying, I'm about to change that with the people who are hungry. To the people that are hungry. Now listen to me. The devil hates for you to have your first time. You have no idea how special this church is. Most churches, they do everything they can to stop the people from doing anything. And they only want the professional authorized people to experiment. How many heard the scripture about new wine? You got to put new wine in new wineskins. Listen very carefully. 
New wine is not new wine. It's fresh grape juice. And the reason you got to put it in a flexible container is because when it begins to decompose, it has gases as it turns into alcohol and that, that monoxide, that gas expands. And if you don't have a flexible wine skin, it explodes. Somebody say fermentation. Do you know how you grow in the things of God, the spirit, things especially? Experimentation. I've got to have some place to experiment. I've got to have somebody that will say, go ahead and try. Go ahead and lay hands on people. Go ahead and give them a word. Go ahead and try to preach your first sermon. Why? You don't grow automatically. You grow from experience, experimentation. And so you know what happens to these big churches? They outsource all their spiritual stuff because you can't learn it here. We don't allow experimentation. And so they look around the world to find somebody who experimented in a church about this size or less. I go on some of the biggest stages in Latin America. I've been with some of the most gifted people. Incredible miracles, signs, wonders, words of knowledge. But without fail, most of them grew up in churches this size or smaller because they were allowed to experiment. And you have a pastor. All you rock pastors, you made up your mind. It may be a little messy, but it's the will of God. Let me give you the last scripture of tonight from me. And I have no idea what's going to happen. I think we're going to pray for some people. I know it's Friday night. You got no place better else to go. All the good restaurants are already closed around here. So. <laughs> we're in Parkersburg, y'all. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have a new King James Bible, or put the New King James Version up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, in the original Scriptures, this is a text, but the word gifts is italicized. Everybody say the word gifts, the word gifts. Is, italicized. is italicized. That means it doesn't exist. Anytime you see a word that's italicized in the New Testament, that means the translators didn't really know what to do with it. So the word before that, spirituals, it should be reading like this. Now concerning spirituals. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And here's what spirituals means. When the wind of the spirit blows among you, don't be ignorant. That's what it means. So there, in this chapter, there are no spiritual gifts. They're called manifestations. And there's one gift called the Holy Spirit and nine manifestations. Gifts that gives you the power or manifestation that say something gifts that see something or manifestation to see something and manifestation that do something, say something, 
do something, see something, all right? And so when the Spirit of God falls, the gifts are here automatically or the manifestation, but I've got to have understanding in the wind. Say, Lord, show me how to discern the wind. Show me how to discern the wind. See, I never lack manifestations in my meetings. I can be in a horrible church. I still have manifestations. You know why? I've learned to discern the wind. If I feel the presence, I know there's a manifestation somewhere around there. You know, I tell the story all the time about when I was in my mother's house, 1206 months in Topeka, Kansas. It was an old, old house, probably 120 years old. And it was a house before they had electricity. And it had an old basement that you went down and they didn't have electricity. So they had to put conduit up and they had a string hanging from an outlet with one light bulb. And so we didn't have a switch on the door when you went down. You had to walk down the stairs and you knew there was a string there. And so I'd walk down. It was totally dark. And so I'd be walking real slow, swinging my hands. Why? I'm trying to bump that string. Is anybody hearing me yet? I'm walking down the stairs, swinging my hands. Why? I know there's a string somewhere. It's pitch dark. I can't see it, but I'll hit that string and I got to hold my hand because it's going to swing this way. I'll catch it, turn the light. That's how some meetings are. In the worship, you know God is here, but you don't exactly what. And so the pastor has to start swinging his hands. I know it's here somewhere. I know this is not the song, so change the song. I know I don't have the word, so somebody else has the word. There's a move of God nonstop in the church but it must be discerned. Now listen to me. God never designed that you live your life without prophetic insight. He never designed your life that you live your life in this dark world without seeing in the spirit, hearing in the spirit, having spiritual manifestations. I highly encourage you, if you're one of these rock churches or you're watching online, there's about to be an unveiling of understanding the wind. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Nicodemus came to figure out how he did miracles. He said, we know, we Pharisees have been having meetings. We know that you're from God because no man can do these things unless God's with him. He knew it. Nicodemus knew it. And Jesus gave him the answer, how to do miracles. He says, you must be born again else you can't see the spirit. And he said, the wind of the spirit. He said, no man knows where the wind blows except those that are born of the spirit. Listen to me. Stop waiting for the move of God. It's here. I get, come on, stop waiting for the move. Come on, somebody scream, stop waiting. For the move of God is here. Stop waiting for the move of God is here. Stand up and scream it, Bill. Stop waiting for the move of God. It's here. Come on, yell at these people. You, stand up, Bill. You lawyer guy. Mike. Mike, Bill. Mike, Bill. Stand up, Mike, and say, stop waiting for the move of God. It's here. Stop waiting for the move of 
Louder. Louder. Come on, chief, say it. Stand up, chief, and scream it. Stop waiting for the move of God is here. Stop waiting for the move of God is here. Say it again. Come on, loud mouth. Come on, stand up and say it. Stop waiting for the move of God. It's here. Say it again. Say it again. I want every young girl under 18 to stand up and scream. Stop waiting for the move of God is here. One, two, three. Say it loud. Come on, young girl, say it again. Every boy under 18, stand to your feet and begin to scream. Stop waiting for the move of God is here. Louder. Every man over 50, stand up and say, stop waiting for the move of God is here. Say it again. Every woman stand up in this place and say, stop waiting for the move of God is here. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. God has promised he would pour out his spirit. His spirit is here. His spirit has been poured out. We just got to have eyes to discern. I guarantee you every time Evangelist Brian goes to a meeting, he knows that God wants to heal. He knows that God wants to save and deliver. He may not know exactly how to start. He may be walking down that old staircase swinging his hand, but I know God is here. I know there's a miracle here. A prophecy is here. A healing is here. A salvation is here. Stop waiting on the move of God. It is here. Man, there's some people in this room. The penny just dropped. Stop waiting. Stop waiting, Columbus, Ohio. I'm pointing to you. Stop waiting for the move of God. Get on the stage when you begin to worship and swing your arms. I know it's here. He said he poured out his spirit. And he never unpoured it. He poured out his spirit. He likened it to a river. The Ohio River is flowing all the time. It never dries up. The Mississippi is always flowing. How much more the river that comes from the throne of God. Can I tell you young people. Ignore all these speakers that tell you God doesn't do it anymore. Ignore all these ignorant, non-moving-in-the-spirit people that say, don't look for it. Jesus said, the wind blows where it wants to blow. But he that can hear the sound of it in the spirit, there's always a spiritual sound. You're here tonight, and God is saying, I want to introduce you to the wind. I want to introduce you to the wind.